You know, following Jesus isn't always easy, but it's not complicated. And here on the Rusty George podcast, our goal is to help make following Jesus a bit more simple. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Brad, it seems like we've been talking about those words for years. And over the course of the past few weeks, it's become all that much more real. Uh, I'm joined here with my co-host, Brad Williams. As we have talked about before, Brad uh, is African-American, and Brad brings a wealth of wisdom, not just on life, but also what it means to live in America with black skin, and has experienced uh, all kinds of things, good and bad. And Brad, I want to know from you, let's just start at the very beginning. Um, About the time of George Floyd, we had... um, we had Ahmaud Arbery, we had Breonna Taylor, and then George Floyd. And by the time that hit, and the horrific video we had to watch, what, what were you thinking at that time? Just give us you, and specifically your family, your wife and your six kids, all of whom are black. What were you thinking in those moments? What were your conversations like? Um, it's when you have children, it's... Uh in that situation, it's difficult, I, to be honest with you, because my kids are older. So, um, you know, if you have younger kids, you can kind of control the conversation a little more and uh, kind of phrase it the way you want to phrase it. But older children have questions and they're intelligent. And in those, in the moments um, where those things happen, we kind of got used to ignoring a lot of the, what was going on and not talking about it. Um, and George Floyd kind of made it made us all talk together about everything like all of it at one time Um, we've talked about Kaepernick taking a knee we talked about a lot of different things because you have to but I think as African Americans um, as black people we uh, we we try to not talk about it so in those moments uh, with George Floyd when it hit um, it opened up a lot of really good dialogue, um, but it was uh, it was tough because I have to revisit all the things that I've had kind of buried inside for so long or ignore for so long or uh, I try to hold back from talking too much because, you know, I mean, I have a lot of um, white friends. I have a lot of friends that are not black and I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable with certain conversations or communicating how I feel or how I see things. Um, one, I don't want to make them uncomfortable. Two, sometimes I, you know, I don't feel like going back and forth with individuals because when you do put certain things out there and you're opening up a dialogue and you know, there could be a rebuttal. It doesn't mean people are going to see things or empathize with you. So for me, because personally, I didn't want to go there a lot of the time. Uh, it was really weird for me because it, it made me have to go there with uh, with all my kids, from my youngest son to my oldest daughter. Brad, give us the age range on your kids. Uh, my oldest daughter, Brandy, who just got married, is 24 years old. Uh, well, she'll be 24 um, very soon, July 22nd. Um, second oldest, Elise, is 21. Um, Peyton is 18 now birthday was just june 6th joy is 14 christopher is 12 and marcel's 11. 
Okay. So what are the questions that your younger kids are asking that may be different from what your, uh, your 20 year olds are asking? Um, my younger kids are just really confused. They're looking and they're afraid. And it's a lot of times we have to open up the dialogue with them. Um, we have to explain to them what they're seeing and, um, ask them opening the questions so they can kind of just talk. Um, my youngest sons, um, they were, um, they were asking about their safety, you know, about, you know, they had some signs, um, that we took to the protest that said, uh, am I next? And so that sparked a lot of questions as you know, why I'm even holding the sign. And, um, and so, yeah, we had to have conversations that my mother had with me, I have to have with them about how to behave um, if they're pulled over by uh, a police officer, explain to them that everybody doesn't, doesn't, won't treat you the same. It's not a guarantee. And what we're seeing now is uh, there's a, a high chance that if you get stopped or if you're out somewhere, um, you can't assume that you're like everybody else if you are with friends that don't look like you, that certainly you have to behave. So that, um, those are the kind of conversations we've been having. Um, I would imagine by the time, I mean, your, your oldest girls are in their 20s, and so they've seen examples of this that have gone on. Um, what are they thinking about their future? Here they are, you know, early 20s, one just got married, thinking about having kids eventually. Um, are they nervous to bring kids into this world? Are they optimistic that things will get better? Um, do they feel the weight that it's on them to be the change? Um, or to be social advocates? How are they processing this? Um, right now, um, I feel like they, they're, they're advocates for change. They feel like change is going to happen in this generation, and that's something that I'm encouraging. Um, they're well aware that um, I've had conversations with them about me being a young man, thinking that change is going to come in my lifetime. And uh, they know that it may not. Like realistically, it takes a lot to, to change, the, change the hearts and minds of people. And uh, so for them, um, I've kind of simplified the conversation. Um, I told them that, you know, we have, uh, there's an ambitious goal that we have as Christians to change the hearts and minds of people. And um, it's an ambitious goal and that's our focus as Christians. Um, so the way I brought it back around was just to remind them of who they are in Christ and everything that we do, everything that we're going to change, we're going to do it through the body of Christ. And there's a great organization called Be the Bridge um, that we fully support. Uh, and they're looking at um, racial reconciliation, but within the body of Christ. They're looking for reconciliation, um, period, you know, as Christians, like unity in the body. And a part of that is racial reconciliation. So through organizations like that, um, I give a more, I think they have a more realistic um, outlook on things that they can actually change things. And then when it comes to politics and, and um, everything, because it's, it's like a, I mean, you can go down a rabbit hole after rabbit hole, just trying to figure things out politically. So for them, it's really simple. Um, I, I challenge them to focus on human rights. Um, I challenge them to advocate us um, just, um, not violating one another's rights you know that's it like i don't care if you like me don't like me i don't care if what what you feel don't violate me don't disrespect me 
uh, when we get pulled over for a traffic violation, we don't want to be, um, you know, prosecuted and tried and killed on the sidewalk. There's due process. So let us go through the proper channels whenever um, something like that happens, like for a simple traffic stop. But for them, I really um, encourage them to focus on human rights and focus on just justice. There are a lot of great laws in place. Um, we sit down and we have conversations about the 13th Amendment, the 14th Amendment. Uh, we have conversations about the Supreme Court and how they, what they did to actually back uh, those amendments, what they had to do. Um, we talk about things like Juneteenth, where um, after the 13th Amendment had come out and 14th Amendment and, and um, uh, slaves were free, it was two years later in Texas that they realized that there was still slavery in Texas. And it wasn't until two years later on June 19th that um, they were freed. <laughs> so it does, just because there's a law doesn't mean a law is being enforced everywhere. Matter of fact, slave owners from the South would send their slaves to Texas thinking, hey, when this thing blows over, uh, <laughs> you know, we'll get them back. <laughs> They'll already be, they, they'll be jaded <laughs> by this whole freedom thing. And uh, there are a lot of things they weren't aware of. And so I think they're hopeful and I think we try to keep them as realistic as possible on things that can actually be done. You might not be able to change the hearts and minds of everybody, but you do have the ability to fight for your rights according to the Constitution. Brad, a lot of uh, uh, conversation has been made and unfortunately turned this into a black versus blue conversation where it's... Uh, Black Lives Matter versus Blue Lives Matter or the police. You and I both know many police officers who do not think or behave like the gentleman in Minneapolis. And it's unfortunate that it gets painted with such a broad brush. But many police officers do not behave in a racist way. They have a clean record. They do great things. What would you say, um, especially even to your kids and to others about, is this a police thing? Um, one thing I would say, especially to my brothers and sisters in Christ, is we know that um, the devil, Satan, is the author of confusion. And so the first thing that happens every time any group of people ask for justice is the issue gets confused. You know, we have brothers and sisters in Christ on, on um, both sides of this issue. As far as police officers go, um, there... Anyone who says that all police are bad is just ignorant. It, that's not the issue. It's never been the issue. The issue is that um, police officers have the power to take lives. So just like with any organization, if I go to Target or if I go to, to the Nike store, you got employees there that are really good. You have employees there that are not good. What we're saying is there's a performance, a performance management process or should be a performance management process in place to where if you have individuals uh, amongst these good cops that are scoring low on employee assessments and reviews, if you have individuals that have a history of investigations, uh, a history of negative behavior, then through your performance management process, get them out. But to the bulk of the police that are, that are good, a lot of them are struggling right now. They're struggling because there are good men and women in the police force. I was looking at one um, post of an officer, you know, and they were like, he explained what happens when you do stand up to uh, some, some bottom performers uh, in the department. 
and it's not an easy process. So yeah, to anybody who thinks that uh, this is a black versus blue thing or black versus white thing, no, this is just uh, us versus racism, us versus injustice, um, us versus partiality, uh, us versus favoritism. That's all it is. It's not about the police. You know, we love um, and appreciate our police departments, um, and we understand their value and their importance. At the same time, because what they do is so important, we feel like the emotional intelligence uh, should be tested, the competency of officers should be tested, how they train and develop should be uh, should be looked at, you know. And we're trusting um, the people in power to do that. That's such a good word. Um, yeah, our uh, our mutual uh, friend uh, Andy Stanley. Uh, his message last Sunday, I don't know if you've heard it, uh, I think that would be June the 7th, uh, he just made a huge case for, you know what, it's not a black-white thing, it's a human race thing. That's yeah. what it really comes down to, and it's so good. I highly recommend everybody to take a listen to that. Okay, I want to I shift gears just a little bit, because in our conversations about police and the news, I love what you said about Satan's the author of confusion, because that's exactly what it is. I think this has just made us all confused, and we're trying to figure out. It's like we've all picked up a, a stick, and we're looking at who to swing it at, you know? Yeah. And, and we swing at it through social media. Um, but what's interesting to me is I had a conversation with four people from an African-American church here in town. Um, they asked me not to share their names. Um, but they talked a little bit about their situation. And I said, explain to me what it's like, even in our valley, Santa Clarita Valley, which we think is is pretty diverse and, and pretty, um, you know, uh, loving and kind and all those kind of things that we would hope from our city. And she went on to give me three examples of how she felt the pain of racism. None of them involved the police. Mm. Every one of them involved Somebody was following me in a store, afraid I was going to steal something. Uh, somebody did not provide me service because they were going to, they looked around me to somebody who was white. You know, those kind of stories um, that had nothing to do with the police, but just issues of racism. Are those the things that, that you've experienced as well? Um, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's bigger than um, just Santa Clarita. I think in Santa Clarita, what happens is because being, being black, um, you fear the police. You're not comfortable around them. So they could be um, fantastic, but you're still going to be fearful of them because of what you've experienced in the past, maybe with the LAPD, maybe with another area at another time. You're all, once you have those experiences, it's almost like, you know, the, the young lady who has a bad boyfriend, you know, and they get a good one, and they, they're still punishing the good one for the bad one's mistakes and behaviors. You still have some of that that um, wariness inside of you. And then when you see stuff like George Floyd and you realize that that stuff is still very real, you know, it does make you feel even more uncomfortable even in your hometown. Like the only things I've experienced in Santa Clarita are um, uh, shock behind people's opinions that live here in regards to race. You know, a lot of them could care. It, feel like, it feels like a lot could care less. Um, and then, you know, I have neighbors who obviously I've had some run-ins with, I say obviously because I mentioned in the past, but it's not obvious. But yeah, I've had run-ins with in the past, not negative, but you know, people know me in the block as a friendly guy. You know, I'd be like, hi, hey, <laughs> And some people are not feeling me at all. And um, and it's not, uh, there are policemen on the street that are, are super cool. I got a higher patrolman and we hung out in his garage. I, I have, it's, it's the majority of individuals are okay. 
It's just sometimes as a black person, you get so pacified by that that you forget about some of the other things you've experienced. And then when you experience that, um, uh, that disrespect from somebody, it kind of snaps you back into reality. Okay, so uh, last question here, Brad, and I do appreciate you being willing to talk about this again. And we talked about this a, pre, uh, a few episodes previously on uh, am I a racist and what is racism and those kind of things. Um, Andy Stanley in his message makes a point that it's not enough just to say I'm not a racist. We all need to be anti-racism. Um, I'm curious what that looks like from your perspective. Is it I just don't tell off-colored jokes? Is it I stop those who do? Is it I wave at people um, that look different than me? Is it I invite them into my home for dinner? You know, give me a few practical examples all of us could do who maybe not have, they don't have the time or the, or the, um, the voice to go and protest and lobby and those kind of things, but they could be anti-racism in their neighborhood. I got one, I got one solution. And I think, uh, I think this, this will hit it on the head. I'm not being cocky. I just feel like this is going to nail it <laughs> because Jesus said it, you know, treat others like you want to be treated. You know, esteem others higher than yourself. Love God, keep him first, and then love your brother, love your sister. Um, if we just do that, there's no confusion. It's really, really simple. And what people are doing, some, I think people are getting confused because you have good people like yourself, Rusty, and others out there who are like, you know, am I racist? Did I do this right? Did I do that right? Did I say black? Did I say African-American? And they're doing all these little rules and just follow that one, the golden one. And you're, you'll be fine. Um, what the biggest issue is, it is a human. It's a it's a respect issue. That's all. It's a respect issue. Even if, and I, I don't want to get political, but when it comes to both parties, both. I mean, it's some of the stuff is laughable. As you see, you got people on one side who are showing you and telling you how they feel which I really appreciate, <laughs> you know, you don't have to be honest with how you feel. That way we can, we can start somewhere and work towards something. If I really can see how you honestly actually feel, I appreciate that. I can do something with that. Then you have folks on the other side who you can't tell. They're smiling at you, you know, but they're not championing any of your causes. They're, they're excited about making you look bad and, and the things that you're trying to push they're, they're working against that because they have political agendas that they're trying to push. So when it comes to just respecting people and treating other people the way you want to be treated and putting other issues that may not affect you, putting them ahead of your own agendas, you know, really trying to figure out what God means when he says love everyone. And God is love. If I want to be like him, then I need to be love. He doesn't just love, he is love. So I have to up my game. You know, and so... And that goes all the way around. That goes all the way around. But I would just ask people to, one, read your word, focus on that one. If you don't believe in the Bible, just focus on that one principle. And um, then, on top of that, respect people's rights. You don't have to be my best friend. You don't have to like me at all. Just don't touch me. Don't hurt me. Don't kill me. Don't disrespect me. Allow me to live here by the same laws, the same constitutional laws that, that you do. You know, allow me to go through due process if I'm guilty of something. You know, uh, give me the benefit of the doubt. 
And um, yeah, let's really focus on what it actually takes to love based on how you'd want to be treated if you were in my situation. I said that was the last question, but I'm going to give you one more. Uh, it's been a week or two since the protests began. How have they helped? The peaceful protests has, have helped uh, immensely um, from my perspective. Because one, it allowed me to see all the people that do care. When I went to these protests, I saw a ton of people, the majority of people that did not look like me, telling me that they cared about our lives. They cared about police, police brutality. I saw people that were within the body of Christ uh, loving on one another and loving on the black community. And the way that made me feel, it made me, I bragged on my community, on Santa Clarita. You know, there's a lot of things people say about Santa Clarita being, you know, a lot of LAPD and officers live here and firemen and this and that. And, and um, I was able to point to a moment where those very people showed a lot of love and, um, and were passionate about um, Black lives mattering for the right reasons. For the right reasons. Um, so it felt great. Where it became um, disappointing was when I personally witnessed at the protest I went to a, a group of people or groups of people who aren't from here all of a sudden popping up, you know, and causing some confusion. Uh, that, that um, I was able to see the benefits of it, and I was also able to see some of the negative uh, impact that, that, um, that you have when you have people with other motives and other agenda uh, coming to these peaceful protests. Um, but overall, I thought it was fantastic. Also, um, I think the world is showing how much it cares about um, people's rights and how people are treated and how people who don't look like them are treated nationwide and worldwide. So I think all that is fantastic. Now, I hope from this, because of social media, the, the disappointing part is everybody's opinion is hurt. And you have a lot of people that don't have, uh, I wouldn't trust them as far as I could throw them. I wouldn't ask advice from them. Their opinions, could, I could care less. But because of social media, it's almost like you're consuming all this stuff from people who, a, a lot of them aren't even old enough to understand what's going on. And it's, it's um, and a lot of them are. A lot of them are. I don't want to discourage any young person. Um, but the problem is there's so much content coming from everywhere that it, it muddies the message and it really hurts us more than it helps us. There's some things people are talking about that um, the majority of black people do not agree with, but it's assumed we do because somebody said it um, and it's just not the case. So the protests help. Uh, listening to the right people, people you trust, people you know are educated, people you know have experienced, people you know who are going through it right now, um, and, and listening to them. But don't get caught up in, in all the minutia uh, that comes along with these protests and some of the riots. You know, it'd be interesting when this is all, I hate to say over, because I think this has made us all more awake to the whole idea and hopefully this is going to bring sweeping reform and change the mentality of america but it'll be interesting if one of the lasting um benefits is just the fact that so many of the majority showed up to support the minority 
on all of those uh, street corners. I was uh, I was pretty in awe of that as well, um, and I thought that was so so encouraging. So I hope that continues. Yeah, likewise, Rusty. Now you get a chance. Well, I did thank you, but I didn't thank you in person. Uh, you and the other individuals that um, I consider my friends and my brothers and sisters in Christ, I've received nothing but love from the whole Christian community. Um, and my kids, the same thing. Um, and you're allowing my children to, to express themselves and get things off their chest. People are listening um, because it's, it's not always a happy conversation when people are talking about how they feel. And this can become really emotional. And I appreciate all my friends that don't look like me to allow us to process this and to feel and to communicate and to be upset and to be reasonable. But I just appreciate all the love that I'm getting from you and all my other uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, thank you, buddy. And as always, always appreciate your co-hosting with me and look forward to getting back to business here soon as we will and uh, praying for you, for your family and for our country during this time. So thank you, Brad. And next week, we'll be back with brand new content. Uh, Make sure you sign up online if you don't get the newsletter. We will talk to you next week.